It's Breeze over the top. Touchdown. You call me, Charles. Lost the plane right there. There he is. Seen that many times over the years. Drew Breeze. Talked about his toughness earlier in the game. So it's disappointing that Don isn't here today. Uh, we actually had plans on Wednesday uh, to record, and Don forgot. Uh, so he couldn't make it, and it's just me, but there were some things I wanted to talk with Don about. Uh, one of them, obviously, was the passing of Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip. And the other thing is I wanted to speak to him about our teams, uh, the Saints and the Bills, who after today, which is Sunday, as I record on Sunday evening here in a quiet household, are both 4-2. and two. Uh, And I can't remember if ever during the run of this podcast, if both of our teams have been two games over 500 uh, seven weeks into the season or more. I don't know if that's happened. Uh, so Don will be here, though, on this Wednesday. Uh, we'll be on the next show, uh, Season 7, Episode 20. Uh, this is Season 7, Episode 19. Let me explain what we got here. Uh, we have, after I'm done explaining what we have, I will take you to an interview I did a couple of weeks ago now with Jeff Perlman. Uh, Jeff is the author of many of our favorite sports books, including Sweetness, which is a former book club Book of the Year winner. And he also writes now for The Athletic. He does a column there every other week. And he has a USFL book coming out next year. No book this year. We couldn't get him to tell us what his next book is post-USFL, but it's apparently about basketball. Uh, Then I will be back to give you a few updates on the situation with the book club currently. Uh, And then we'll have a debut. Uh, Emily Kaplan, who worked for SI, left this year to start writing about hockey at ESPN.com and for ESPN, the magazine. And she's been joined there by Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy. And she wrote a mag, uh, an article for the magazine about Austin Matthews. And we spoke about that because I was annoyed Jack Eichel's name didn't come up in that article, uh, but Connor McDavid's did. Uh, so we'll talk to Emily about her piece on Austin Matthews and about the NHL in general. I recorded this on Friday, so two days ago. Uh, and then I'll be back at the end for one last thing, which will be about uh, the passing of Gord Downey and my life as a Tragically Hip fan. Uh, with all that said, I want to give you an update in general about my podcasting life right now. Uh, so I'm working on three podcasts in some capacity. Of course, there's the Sportscasters. And it's become seemingly this year a bi-weekly podcast. I'd like to do one every week the rest of the year, uh, if possible. We'll see how that goes, uh, but that's my goal. Um, so look for the sportscasters to increase over the next few weeks. Don, like I said, will be here Wednesday. So this is going to go up Sunday, and by Friday there'll be a second one. Uh, so two episodes of that. But the sportscasters, if you're here you know where to find it. The other two podcasts I work on, uh, one is the Lonely End of the Rink podcast. I wasn't sure going into uh, this year. 
I wasn't sure if it would be back for a second season. Uh, Adrian uh, Dater, who I do that podcast with, is working more uh, at the games. Uh, his job at BSN Denver uh, is more hands-on covering the Avalanche. Wasn't sure what kind of time he had. I think we both kind of thought it would be done, but the listeners of that show are very passionate, and they drew us back in and convinced us to do another season. So we're going to do another season of that show. We've already posted the first episode. Uh, Let me tell you how to find it. It's called the Lonely End of the Rink Podcast, and of course you can search on iTunes for that, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, or at SoundCloud.com slash LonelyRinkPod. And we're at Lonely Rink Pod on Twitter as well. And that 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 we're recording a second episode uh, on Monday, uh, tomorrow. Uh, so that will be about three to four times a month. Um, we're going to plan on probably doing it weekly. Uh, but there could be some weeks that Adrian isn't available if he's traveling or something like that. Uh, so in that case, uh, there might only be there might only be the two of them or three of them that month. Uh, but now that hockey season's back into full swing, we'll be looking to uh, to do as many as we can. Uh, and then the third podcast I work on is called the Motivation Through Music Podcast, where it's actually hosted by a friend of mine named Matthew Sobolski, uh, who wrote a book called Find Your Playlist, which is available on Amazon.com. And he wanted to do a podcast that basically accompanies the book. Uh, so we're going chapter through chapter. Each chapter in the book is about a song. For example, chapter two was about Rhyme and Reason by the Dave Matthews Band. Uh, and we go through each chapter. Uh, we talk about the songs. We talk about the words in the book as they relate to the song. Uh, we also do some other cool things on there. We pick a playlist every week of three songs each. Uh, we read emails. It's actually becoming a really fun show. Every once in a while, we'll take a break from the book. We'll do an interview. Uh, we've interviewed a couple of local artists uh, from Buffalo. And I'm trying to build the Twitter on this and see where this podcast goes. I work as sort of a producer and a second hand to help Matt. Uh, so I want to let everyone on this show know about it. It's at M through M pod on Twitter. Uh, it's the Motivation Through Music podcast. You can find that uh, wherever podcasts are found. And it's soundcloud.com slash M through M pod. All right. So with all of that said, oh, and new episodes of that are every Monday. They go up religiously on Monday mornings. With all that said, uh, finally, let's take a break from this, and we'll come right back uh, with our friend Jeff Perlman. All right, our next guest is from Mayo Pack, New York and is a graduate of Delaware University. He is the author of many amazing sports books and has been on this podcast several times. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Perlman. Welcome back, Jeff. Great. You know what? I thought this would never happen. I thought <laughs> after our last you know, catastrophic interview, you would not have me back. So thank you. I, I kind of miss being I, – I'll say this. I like the new podcast because I've missed being in the world of Jeff Perlman because I I had to give up – I had to give up Twitter Jeff Perlman. So I feel like I'm not I'm not in the world as much anymore. Wait. Why did you give up Twitter? Well, I just – I'll tell you. I'll be very honest. You were one of my fa- – you were one of my favorite follows because your feed was – 
I learned a lot. You would always do the question and answers, and I, I would learn a lot about about media, about writing, things like that. Um, I, you also were were pretty personal, and, and I would I, I I looked up to you as a dad, uh, and I, I enjoyed following your family life, the things you would share, the things you were doing with your son or your daughter, the quirky things. But in the last year, your Twitter, your Twitter is a very hateful place. Half it's not hateful. Oh, dark. it's all hate. Dark. It's all hate. It's nothing but well, you hating and then you responding yeah. to people who hate your hate. <laughs> There's nothing else there. It's it's it's. Let me tell you why. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I still do the Q and A's all the time, and uh, and I miss them. I do miss them. You know, do you miss them? Uh, you know what it is? It's um, it's my way of staying sane in the real world. Uh, I mean, and I'm being sincere about that. That's not an excuse. It is actually my way of staying sane because if I, if I didn't tweet about politics, I didn't tweet about Trump. Um, I'd probably be punching walls every day. It's a good outlet for you. So for me, yeah, if it just is, it just mm-hmm. isn't. People say, you're not the first, you know, through the years, Oh, stop, stop politics and stop this and blah, blah. And I'm like, I just kind of need it. Like I need that to be my vent. And my Twitter following it goes up a little, you know, but not not usually. And and I know I turn people off because of political rants and and. But I just personally in my life, I need that as my vent. So when my kids come home and I'm hanging out, I'm not just fuming and storming because I kind of release it there. So I've stopped uh, debating with people so much on Twitter that um, that isn't that enjoyable. But I do I, I just uh, it's just kind of what I needed and what I need. So selfishly. And you I, were probably correct. And I think that's fair in the sense that I would never tell you uh, what to tweet about yeah. or anything like that. So I didn't mean it. Hopefully, right. I didn't mean it like that. I just, no, I, no, think, no. I think, I think for me, you know, for you, it's your one, you know, your one Twitter feed. To me, it just got, it just has gotten so overwhelming. I think that one of the things I like least about Trump is that he's made so many things that never involved politics before political. And and it, and it it it's created a tipping point, you know, to where it's like, well, how do you not be just overwhelmed with this every day, all day? Because it's there's just not there's no there's no I can't find any good, you know. It's not like like I can't find any good in hating the guy, and I can't find any good in not hating him. And I can't find any good yeah. in anything that's going on there. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster, an epic disaster. I mean, I know I told you before, he wasn't someone I supported, you know. Um, right. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like he's, he's, I mean, he is what he, what I thought he was kind of, right? Like, I mean, it's the Dennis Green, I mean, it's kind of going the way I thought it would go. And I actually, it's worse than I thought it would be, to be honest. I thought it was going to be bad, but I, I thought, I don't know. I didn't think it would be. I was just having to stop. My dad, my so I took my parents yesterday. They were out there visiting. And I took them to the Richard Nixon Library, hmm. and you walk around the library. You know, obviously Nixon, kind of for a lot of people before Trump was thought of as a definitive bad president. You know, for Watergate and sure. Uh, you know, there are other things. And I, I kid you not, my parents are very liberal. I'm very liberal. We're walking around this library. We're reading about Richard Nixon, and we're kind of pining for Richard Nixon. Um, and the thing that's interesting that really has changed, you touched on it. And I, I think you said it really well is, um, 
from Bush to Obama to Nixon to Ford to Carter to Reagan, you never got the sense that presidents wanted your life to be all about them. You know, like, I don't think Obama or Bush, to use the last two, thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make America all about me. And all people are going to do is talk about me. That's what I want. And because I, I loved Obama, but I certainly didn't want to talk about him all the time. And I didn't like Bush, and I certainly didn't want to talk about him all the time. But we've become now this thing where we're talking about this guy all the time, and you kind of have to sometimes focus your energy just not to talk about politics and talk about Trump. And it is a poisonous. You're right. Like, I've been poisoned by it. We've been poisoned by it. It's poisonous. It sucks. Yeah. No, it's brutal. I can't I can't even imagine if he was ever – like, I, like the scope – like I keep thinking, like, okay, we're a year, we're through a year. You know, I mean, three left, pretty much. It's like, oh my god, if you ever got four more, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do this for for that long. I don't think. Like, it's just exhausting. It's more than so anything. exhausting. Even if you like him, even if someone likes him, it's so tiring. It's just like, I just want to live my life. I just want this country to do the right thing as often as it can. You know, like I don't want to feel, I don't want to have to wake up every day and think to myself, what did Trump do today? What's he going to do today? What's he going to tweet today? Who's he going to insult today? Like. I don't want it, and yet I can't stop reading about it because I feel like I need to be informed, and yet I wish I weren't informed. Yeah. I think it, it's brought out the worst in us in so many ways, too. Like, yes. Like, I like I try so hard. Like Whenever my wife and I are talking about something, I always say, you know, I really don't – I really want to think about this before I say anything because I don't want to do – I don't want to do things I don't like. Like, I don't want to – like I hate, and we've talked about this pre-Trump, you and I, about how I've always I felt like there's been a trend towards free speech becoming something people are only for when they agree with the speech. Right. Um And Agreed. and that that and so I'm trying so hard, like don't fall in that trap. Just because you don't like it, something someone like I keep tra- reminding myself, don't fall in that trap. Another thing I hate right. is when somebody does something. And the retort to it is, yeah, well, this person did this, this, and this. I hate that too. You know, I, so I, I do too. I try. I do don't fall. I keep saying, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. You know, if someone says, oh, Trump did this today, don't say, oh, yeah, well, Obama did this. That is the worst. It sucks. So, like, there's these right. traps that I keep trying to not fall into. But I know at times uh, when I have not been patient about my responses to something or my opinion about something that it's gotten the best in me and brought out the worst in me too. And I hate that about it. And then I think the other thing that I hate, I hate the most is, um, that he's, the president is so polarizing that it's really hard to get, to get a, um, a nonpartisan or objective view of policy now. Um, I agree. Because I do find it hard to believe, as bad as he may or may not be, that every single piece of policy that the administration has brought forward is just the worst ever. I find that hard to believe, and I found it hard to believe under Obama and Bush, because I think this is the third president in a row now, where it's like anything that they do, it's just, oh my God, this is the worst bullshit ever, and oh my God, we have the worst president ever, and I just find that really hard to believe um, but I think under this administration, it's gotten to the point where I can't even figure out if it's 
if it is or isn't because the noise is just so overwhelming, you know, that I agree. I agree. So those, I agree. I mean, I just, I think if you look at, um, there are some unprecedented, there's definitely some unprecedented badness here. Primarily, if you really want an example, like the EPA, I mean, the person Scott Pruitt put in charge of the EPA has been diametrically opposed to the EPA and wanted the EPA to be blown up. So then you put him in, in charge of the EPA and the environmental protections that have been fought for since the days of Teddy Roosevelt are destroyed one by one by one. To me, there's no, there's no positive spin to that. And there's a lot of that going on right now, um, which I find really alarming and, and you feel helpless. I think the worst part is you feel helpless. So I can't walk up to Trump and yell at him. I can't, you know, arrest him. I can't impeach him. I can't, can't do anything, you know? So what do you do? You tweet <laughs> and you blog about it and you talk about it and you hope, you just hope that someone's listens. I don't know. It's, it sucks. It just sucks. I hate talking about this stuff. The most frustrating thing for me has been healthcare because healthcare yeah, but- isn't good. I mean, I, no. I, um, I live in New York state and I only get 80% coverage and I'm considered disabled right. by the state. But because of the value of my wife's 401k, I shit you not, I'm not eligible for the 20% of the state budget. So we either have to cash in her 401k and spend it off so I'm eligible next year, or I have to walk away from my Remicade treatments. So like right. healthcare isn't good, right? So it needs, to, it needs to be reformed, but they're over what, four now? And it's like there's- oh, so wait. There's no chance of them well, being. I just. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I was. My point is just no, that. I was going to say what drives me crazy is. All right, go. <laughs> go ahead. There you go. <laughs> I think we're, we are anxious to say the same thing, and that everyone knows it needs to be reformed, but right, I think anyway, but mm-hmm. they they've been unable to to bring forth a plan um, that that will work. I, I don't know. If the plans have been better or worse because they they seem to come out of nowhere and you know like it always seems like it's almost like tried they're trying to do like a force job or something never have enough time to like actually take it in before you get to the point where everyone is screaming that it's the worst thing ever and everyone else is screaming that no it's the only thing we can do we have to get rid of what we have and I'm just you know and I hear like People like Jimmy Kimmel crying on TV and, you know, people tweeting like, oh, all these people are going to lose health care. And here I am, a guy in New York who's considered disabled by the state who only has 80% coverage. I can't even get a colonoscopy unless I want to pay $3,000 for it. So I'm saying like, okay, all that is anecdotal, including my own situation, but there needs to be some kind of reform. I I don't even think the people who originally passed the, the Affordable Care Act thought it was a long-term solution. I think they thought it was just a step into the right direction of socialized medicine or whatever, whatever the goal was. I think they thought they, they viewed it as a first step. And now we've become so polarized that I don't see any hope for, for reform right now. So it's, it's become well, not, it's not become, it's, it's become not about reform, but about winning the healthcare battle, being the winner. Right. Well, they could have said a long time ago, I don't think anyone thinks the, Obamacare is perfect or even close to perfect. I've never heard anybody say that, including Obama. Um, the Republicans could have come into power and they could have said, let's take this system and let's improve it. 
Let's do everything we can to improve it. Let's make it work where it doesn't work now. And they could have said, let's get everyone involved. Let's get the Democrats involved. Let's at least try, right? Let's at least try. And maybe it would have been ridiculous and maybe it would have been preposterous and maybe it wouldn't have worked. But from the very beginning, they've come in and they said, we're going to overturn this and do our own plan. That's it. We're going to overturn this. We're going to start new. When there was no reason to do that. You know, there are there are many people who swear by Obamacare or at least say they're better off with Obamacare. So why not take the goods um, and then work on it, tinker on it, work on it slowly, gradually, make it better? But no, they had to blow it up. They didn't have a plan in place, but they had to do it because that's politics nowadays. And here we are. You know, no one thinks Obamacare is perfect or even close to perfect. But to just say, all right, it's not, you know, our offense isn't working. So we need to fire everyone involved with the offense and bring in a new offense. It's just stupid. Anyway, now you're getting me angry. <laughs> yeah, so let's shift let's shift gears because I knew that this would be a right. uh, political discussion to yeah. some point, but let's let's talk about right. how it's how it's um, crept its way into sports, right? Because I mean, okay, every day is a new day of something. I mean, yeah. the Pittsburgh Penguins have to feel guilty, I'm sure, to some degree, to go to the White House. I think that's insane. You know, um, I also think like it's okay that the Warriors don't want to go there. And I, you know, I don't understand why it can't be both ways. Like, why do you think the Penguins sure. have to feel guilty about going or venomize, uh, demonize for do. going? Or well, I think they do. I think there's some people who, I mean, Sidney Crosby is kind of hiding in the corner. I'm I don't think they should. Oh, okay, but they do. I don't think they should. But I, I do think. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of interesting. I tend to agree with Jamel uh, Hill that this White House is doing some really sinister things, you know? And, I mean, I know it's a a clumsy comparison, but athletes, you know, when Max Schmeling goes to see Hitler um, after he beats Joe Lewis, is he, what is he saying? Is it just an innocent visit, or is it... Well, I don't know the history of it. I can't respond to that. So I don't know the history, you know... I know the history here is that for 20 years, the team who wins the Stanley Cup has been going to see the president. Sure. So so I don't know that. Yeah. Well, Max Schmeling beat Joe Lewis, German German, uh, heavyweight champ, beat Joe Lewis. He was kind of Hitler's champion. Um, People viewed Max Schmeling as a guy who supported Hitler uh, in part because of his proximity toward Hitler. And I do think, you know, I think it would have been – I think had the Warriors gone to see Donald Trump after the way he's really gone after minorities um, through the years, I think it would have been weird. And I and I, I don't love. I guess I'm being dishonest when I say it's fine if they go. I think this is. I just being honest. I, I think this is a sinister human being. I think he is as close as we've ever had to an aspiring fascist. And I think the more legitimacy we give him, and the more of those moments we give him the more we, we show approval of him. And if you approve of him, that's your right. But personally, I think he's a, I do. I think he's a sinister entity. I think he's a, he's a black mark on society. And to, to give him legitimacy, to make him look like a normal president, um, offends me. So I guess I'm not a fan of, of teams going. I understand. They don't all feel the way I do, so that's, that's totally their right. Uh, I'm glad the Warriors didn't go. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's we, we've done a lot of agreeing. I, I mean, I guess that's just something we, we disagree on. Um, I certainly don't think he is quite as evil as you do. I mean, I, I think we both agree he's not good at president. I think where we tend to part ways is when we get into the white supremacist and the the evil part of it. I, I just don't I, I don't see it um, quite the way you do in that in, Central Park Five, man, in that area. You know, I'm sure you, you know you, you can you can come up with 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 things that support your argument. I, I don't want to get too far down that path. Let's let's stick let's stick to um, let's stick to to the info the you know the sports thing because I had a couple of them. The Penguins thing is one. Okay, one. Uh, we might as well talk about Jamal right. Hill because you brought her up. Um, and it's been a tricky one for me because again, I don't like to fall into the trap of being against free speech you get disagree with. Um, I maybe think that you are crossing a little bit of a line when you call the sitting president a white supremacist. But the first round of Jamel Hill to me was totally, totally cool. Her opinion, her tweets, it's fine. Now, what does her employer think, which is the more important thing because she does have an employer. Um, True. And, uh, you know, and I guess in that instance, they... They basically took a pass on it, right? I mean, they let her. They essentially let her let her off on it. I would say. I don't think she was. Didn't they keep her off one episode? I think they kept her off one episode, and I think Smith didn't do it either. I think, unless I'm wrong. Okay, there. that could be true. I I also think mm-hmm. that that might not have been a punishment as much as them kind of like, uh, if I recall, maybe just right. like uh, let's let's talk it over tonight, kind of a thing, and then they everyone yeah, went went back to went back to business. Again, I don't like comparing stuff too much, but I'm wondering, mm-hmm. and they're not going to give us much ESPN because I guess they've already said their statement is all there's going to be about this. Uh, but it right. seems to me like it's a lot like showing. I'm sure that day that uh, that she was um, off last time, if we're remembering it correctly, because I think that is what happened, they told her to knock it off. And I think she, she in their mind, went, too far again and that's she got suspended this time and yep. I, I don't know that i i can blame them I don't, I don't know i don't know what do you what are you supposed to do I, I wish we knew more about it i guess and i'm being very careful because i don't i feel like i don't have enough information from espn um i feel like in general circumstances what she tweeted is dangerous because that's their biggest partner um yeah and i i think that the first thing it's just a human being who doesn't like the president saying why she doesn't like the president. Uh, but when you bring in your employer's biggest partner and you say that the best play might be to boycott their sponsors, I, I don't know a lot of people who are going to get away with that in many businesses. But you disagree, I assume? All right, here, here's, my, uh, here's my argument against you. Okay. Um, okay. So Jamel, her job, you know, is to opine on sports. Like that is literally her job. You know, her job is to offer opinions and takes on sports. Okay. It is. Um, She's not more of a journalist uh, reporter. You, no, you, even she, you know, she was on my pocket. It's so funny. Okay. She appeared on my podcast maybe three or four days before the initial uh, controversy yeah, a month ago. I listened to it. And yep. she, yeah, she literally said, I am not a journalist anymore. I'm an entertainer. Okay. All um, right. And, 
All right, so, so, so that's her job, truly, is to opine, to offer opinions, to offer takes on sports. So Jerry Jones, the owner of the biggest, you know, the, the most valuable franchise in the NFL and probably the most powerful and recognizable owner of sports, mm-hmm. says that offers a stance on the, the issue du jour in the NFL right now. I mean, it's the issue in the NFL. He offers his position. It's a controversial position. He says, my players are going to have to stand or they're not going to play. Um, Jamel Hill, again, whose job is to the biggest story in sports, the biggest team in sports, involving the biggest issue in sports, all at the same time, um, rightly says, now she doesn't, to be clear, she doesn't say fans should boycott. And I nope. actually think there is an important decision right. here. She doesn't say fans should boycott. She said she, she said thought it would be the best, best play. Way if, right. If you have a problem with this, right. the best way to give voice to your concerns, you know, is to not, don't you, if you're, if this bothers you, don't buy cowboy tickets, don't buy cowboy hats. That is a completely 100% reasonable take, right? I mean, it really is. It is a reasonable, she is not saying don't watch the NFL. She's not even saying don't buy a cowboy shirt. She's saying, here's the best stand, here's a way to protest if you want to protest. And so, the, yeah, the it, ESPN has, I'm sure someone from the NFL called ESPN. It's a, it's a guarantee that someone from NFL made themselves clear to ESPN that they were pissed off. Right, and this isn't um, the first time they've done that, by the way. This wasn't a no, let's pick on not. Jamel Hill thing. They've done this with ballers. Yep. They've done this several times with ESPN, several. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what the NFL does. The NFL is a, is a bully league. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I love, I love football, but they're a bunch of bullies. Right, you can't even call the no Super Bowl the Super Bowl if you're a restaurant, right? you got to say, come watch the big game because they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll get – They're yeah. the worst. Right. Mm-hmm. They're big brother. They're basically mm-hmm. big brother. So they call and they say to ESPN, you know, whatever, this pisses off, us off, blah, blah, blah. So ESPN now responds. And I, you know – I'm just saying, I was brought up, I started the Tennessean, went to Sports Illustrated, and the best editors I always worked for and the best places I always worked for stood up for their employees when they needed to be stood up for. And they didn't sell them out, and they didn't kick them to the curb, and they didn't publicly humiliate them in the face of sort of uh, someone being someone powerful being angry or upset. And I really feel like what ESPN did right here is they cowered to the NFL because she... If you really look at what she said, I looked at it. I looked at it several times. I looked at it several times. She didn't say anything wrong. She didn't. She didn't say anything wrong. It wasn't even that controversial. That's a funny thing. In fact, it wasn't even controversial. It's only controversial because they now suspended her for it. It kind of flew under the radar at first. Yeah, because it wasn't a big deal. Right. And then they made a big deal. And then Trump gets all over it. And the worst part is, what really bothers me is like... Well, let's keep Trump out of it for now. Let's let's try to focus on the ESPN. No, but I just want to say, this isn't really about Trump. It's more about... um, This is... I mean, it's a little about Trump, but but not like... You know, having written a USFL book, like this is kind of what he does, is he bullies, 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 pushes, 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 until you give in. You know, that's what he did to the owners of the USFL. Bully, 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 bully. Until they basically were so fatigued that they said, "All right, we'll try. We'll go. We'll move to fall." And I feel like here, this was not an issue. Whether you, I think it's a completely and fair debate and an interesting debate. Players kneeling, okay. disrespectful or not. We'll get to that next. We'll get I've, to that next. Right. Okay. I, I think that's a fascinating debate. I really do. It's a fascinating debate, and it's a fair debate. But this was not about. You will not find one player in the NFL who say we're protesting the flag. 
or we're protesting America. Okay, I have, know, a, like, I have a point about this, but let, let's get to that next. Let's focus on Jamal first. All right, go ahead. No, no, let me finish your point about Jamal. We'll get to we'll get to the kneeling oh, and to the flag. We'll do that. Wrong. Uh-huh. She didn't do anything wrong, but but the NFL bullied ESPN, and that's it. And they gave in to a bully, and that's what bothers me. That's what really pisses me off, is they're supposed to protect and stand up for their people, whether it's a star like Jamel or Michael Smith or whether it's, you know, the, the seventh backup on Center. You're supposed to stand up for your people when they need to be stood up for, and they totally and completely left her hanging out to dry. And, and that, and they've, they've got, got, this isn't the first. Jamel, but I know Jamel well. It just really makes me angry. Not the way you treat someone. Yeah, and they they did this recently uh, to the tennis announcer as well. I mean, what was that? I don't remember. They fired an, a tennis announcer for saying that Serena Williams made a gorilla, you know, with a U, like gorilla warfare. Oh, right. That right. that she made a gorilla yeah. attack, and they fired that guy, left left him hanging. Um, I'll it, tell you what, if we're gonna going to be honest about this they did the same thing to rush limbaugh and i hate rush limbaugh but if you really look right they thing, hired him to the be thing they hired him liberal. for that mm-hmm. you hired him you yep. hired him for this reason you knew you were getting rush limbaugh what he said wasn't even that controversial that's a crazy thing was, right he basically made the case that the media wanted an african-american quarterback to succeed like agree or disagree that's not that controversial of a statement and you knew what you were getting but as soon as the pressure comes to ESPN, they always cower and sell out their own. And I, people are like, well, you didn't speak up about Kurt Schilling or Linda Cohn. Why do you think they should have been fired either? That, I, I truly didn't. I just think ESPN is a bunch of freaking... All right, let's, let's, I mean, let's, let's hit on that real quick. Why didn't, why didn't we, as a collective, stick up for Kurt Schilling and Linda Cohn? Because I think deep down... I, wrote a blog, I just wanted to be clear. I wrote a blog post about Kurt Schilling when it happened. Saying that it was crap that he got fired. I, I remember it. I can't stand that. Guy. Right. I remember but it. I did. Uh, we didn't because he's a crazy. Well, first of all, Kurt Schilling. There are a few things about Schilling that are kind of interesting, and I really do think this is true. Number one is part of it that he's conservative. Surely, I'm sure. Yes, sure. Uh, number two, he did over the course of whatever time period tweet some really offensive and sort of gross things. You know, like he's not an innocent in the world of uh, you know gross opinion um sure and I, but i also think like so i covered baseball when kurt schilling was playing and i had a fair, fair amount of exposure to schilling over the years with the diamondbacks and uh and uh later on uh, was it later no who else was he with oh, my God, red, the red Sox. Red. yeah and um red Sox. yeah right right and the he, phillies phillies just kind of philly yeah i didn't cover him with the phillies though but diamondbacks okay. red Sox. and the thing about schilling was he was just always full of shit. <laughs> and he just was. And I don't, that has nothing to do with politics. It was not a, poli- I didn't know. Right, what, I didn't just know that's the kind of guy he was. Full was. Of shit. Right. He was just a guy. He were like, oh, here we go. He's one of those guys who thinks he's smarter than he is. And I don't think people in the media much cared for him. So I just don't like as a guy, not as a political figure, as a guy. And it, it would be naive for me to say, or I'd be lying to say that that doesn't impact how we cover people, you know, if we like people, if we don't like people. So I think part of that might be we were just found him annoying and not mm-hmm. really worth defending. What about but Linda? I still think what ESPN did was ridiculous. The Linda thing, to be honest, I just missed. Yeah, it was I quiet. Like it didn't, I, it didn't I, get a stir. See, that's, I guess that was, was yeah, that was my main point. Like, I'm cool with people sticking up for Jamal. 
You know, I'm cool with it. I wish they would have stuck up for Linda. I wish they would have stuck up for this tennis guy. I even wish they would have stuck up for Sean. I feel like a lot of people didn't know the Linda thing happened. I mean, serious. I did not know the Linda thing happened. I like, I did not. Maybe it's because I don't pay attention to sport the day and day outs of sports media. But I didn't even know it happened. Mm-hmm. But I would have. I mean, I, I, I think she was completely wrong by that. So whatever that's worth, I thought that was crap. All right, let's move on to the kneeling issue because – Okay. It, this, to is me, this is good stuff today. Yeah. To me, it was dead. It was all but dead. And yep. and then, for whatever reason, um, I guess Trump felt he needed to riff on it a bit. Um, right. And then I think he backed the players into a wall. And we got what we got a few weeks ago as sort of a direct response to that. And um, it's created a, a giant, giant storm, right? So let's break it down a little bit. Now, one thing you said, yep. which a lot of people have said, is that, you know, these guys are not, they're not protesting the military or the flag or some of the misconceptions. And I've thought about that a lot. And I was okay. thinking back to when, I was younger and brasher and not as humble and would say and do things sometimes without thinking about them as much as I would if I were in the same position today. And I remember one time saying something to someone and them being really upset to the point where they called my mom (laughs) and uh, told her what I, I don't even remember what it was, but they called her. And they told her what I said and what they thought about it and what they thought about me. And it wasn't positive. Uh-huh. And I remember screaming to my mom, like, I didn't mean it that way. That is not what I meant. And my right. mom kept saying to me, but that's how she took it. Well, yeah, that's, that's not what I meant. And that's not how I felt. And that wasn't my intention. But that's how she took it. So I needed to rethink it. And I think that that's where I am with the protest. I know, first of all, I know that Colin Kaepernick did this with the intention of starting a conversation about police brutality. And I think he succeeded. That worked. Yep. Yeah, he, no su- he succeeded. And I think that yep. he's done a good job of not just being a guy who sat down or took a knee. He's put his money where his mouth is. Um you know, mission mission accomplished. I think good good for Colin Kaepernick. I, th- I think he did a a good thing overall, and uh, I feel bad in general that he's kind of that it's cost him a little Doesn't bit. Have a job. Right, it's it's too bad. Yeah. Um, and I think that the guys that knelt or sat the day after the weekend after Trump uh, made those comments in Alabama, I think that they were just kind of responding to that, kind of saying like, oh yeah, kind of a thing. But right. like now, what what's the point now? Because it's it's not that they're disrespecting the flag, even though some people are taking that way. Uh, and it's not to start a conversation that's already started. And it's not mm-hmm. to respond to a president. So so what's the reason now? And what's the end game now? Like what, why, why are we still doing it now? All right, so that's such an interesting question. Um, and everything I'm about to say is sort of guess. You know, it's not, you know. Yeah, we're speculating in general. Here. We're speculating in general here. Yeah. Yes. All right, this is pure speculation. Yeah. I think a few things. Okay. First of all, I said this to someone recently, never uh, never in, on any media forum, but I'll, I'll say it here. 
I do think there are a lot of players, and this comes just from covering athletes, black, white, old, young, American, Dominican. Athletes by nature tend to go along. And I do think there are a fair number of athletes who are probably kneeling and aren't quite 100, aren't 100% certain why they are kneeling. Is it anti-Trump? Is it police brutality? Is it uh, solidarity with other players? I do think for some there's probably confusion, right? Um, I think Trump took this to a, to a level. It's a self-fulfilled prophecy, right? How dare players kneel? Like, there weren't that many players kneeling. No, it was you know? almost and, dead. And it was almost dead. It was yeah, a it very was, small. It was kind of wrapped up. Yeah. Right. It was a movement. It wrapped up. It wasn't that big a deal. No one was like, no one was like not going to an NFL game or not watching the game no. because of the kneeling. No. Was, or minimal number. Very few. But then he saw a beautiful, magnificent, gigantic wedge issue. There's a, you know, he saw this wedge. This is a great wedge. This is a black-white this is a conservative liberal. This is a city country. This is a this is your this is the wedge of all wedge issues. Um, and it's funny how you can have a guy who's you know a five deferment mock POWs, never served anywhere guy, become the sort of face of patriotism in America. It's a weird thing, but it's worked brilliantly for him. And I think what happened is so it's wrapping down, like you said, it's winding down, and the movement is kind of fading. You know. It, it had its place. It was great. It was a success. Place. It was a success, really. It was total success. Yeah. It worked out well. People were like, oh, Colin Ka- I mean, Kaepernick doesn't have a job. That's crap. But I think people really came to sort of respect, at least, that he, you know, not, not NFL owners, but a lot of society. Wow. Con- I mean, Colin Kaepernick is going to be remembered in the way a lot of people are, in a way most NFL players are not remembered. You know, he's not going to be remembered as the next Johnny Unitas, but he's going to be remembered more like the next Tommy Smith and John Carlos and, sure. you know, Billy Jean King, a guy who actually did something. So that was great. And then it's winding down, and then Trump sees this wedge issue, and he makes it a wedge issue. And then what happens, you're basically saying to the players, what are you going to do now? Right? What are you going to do now? And if you stop kneeling then, you look like you're caving to this guy you can't stand, this guy who's calling you out, who's saying you should not be doing this. So it reignites it. And I will say, all of a sudden, it isn't just about police brutality and whether people admit this or not a lot of it is just it's a big f you to trump oh absolutely and absolutely we're was. not backing down right yeah and now it's now it's really interesting because now i'm fascinated to see what happens with the cowboys this week do the players there's no one like he said you know anyone who doesn't kneel anyone who kneels doesn't play well what if dak prescott ezekiel elliott and does brian all kneel what are you going to do it's interesting Right. I hope they do just to, just for the TV drama of it. All. And I think he only said that because he knows they won't. I I, I think so. I, I think if I think he's a smart enough guy that if he thought they were going to call him on that, he wouldn't have said it. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just maybe that's just my guess. I don't know. But I still like I still I'm always about I always we, we've had debates on here in the past, and I always ask you about end game. You know, like what's the end game? And I think that Colin Kaepernick had. Had an idea about a way to start a discussion. You know, it worked. I guess the rumor was he wasn't going to continue to kneel this year. Um, you know, but I do, you know, I, I do want to know. Like, I get why everyone knelt that Sunday after Trump uh, spoke out. You know, I get it. Yeah. I, I, I think I might have, too, maybe. Uh, well, 
I mean, if I if I was them, putting myself in in their shoes, I probably would have done the same right. thing. Uh, but right. you know, I still want to know why they'll kneel Sunday. You know what what is the reason this week, and you know, because because to me because to me no, like I said, okay, so it's still Trump. So that means we're going to have people kneeling until Trump isn't the president. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know actually. I mean, because the NFL is going to have to change. They're going to have to change the policy now to say that they that they have to stand right because it is affecting their business. It is affecting their business now. There will be players. I I know, but there are going to be players. Okay, did you see the Eminem rap last night? No, I didn't. I've seen a million things like that. Like I get it. Everyone hates him. It was so Uh, good. Yeah, I'm sure it was was awesome. It was. It truly was. It truly Mm. was. It was. And I think, like, I do think. I don't think African-American players are just going to be like, oh, the NFL says we need to kneel. We need to stand, so we're going to stand. Okay, like, well, then they'll just have to pay the, the consequence, whatever that is. I know, but then you're really going to – it's weird. It's it's. I mean, in the end, they are at work, right, Jeff? I mean, they are at work. Sure, but just because you're at work. Look, I you know, we all have jobs. It doesn't mean we can't stand up to our bosses. And you're right, there are consequences. So is the NFL willing to pay the price too? Is the NFL going to – is the NFL going to start banning or uh, suspending its stars? Is the NFL going to start spanning it? Uh, what if? What no, if I don't. I don't think they'll suspend. I think they'll fine. I think they'll find them. And then the stars are going to say, "We're not paying this." And then well, no, they're not going to do that. They, they do don't know? even have that choice. That right? They just get deducted right out of their checks. Those fines. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I just think it's not going to be. There's no easy solution here, and I hate. I do hate that the NFL. Like, let them kneel. You know what? You're right. It's 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 ugly and it's causing ugly ugly. They can't. Uh, they can't. They're a business. They can't let them kneel because now. Remember before we were like it didn't cost them anything. I totally agreed with yep. you. Now it's costing them. Uh, what's it really costing them? Well, I mean, when every you're a billion time. dollar corporation like that, I mean, every dollar you care about all the dollars, right? And those TV contracts are going to yeah. need to be renegotiated, right? You don't want to lose a ratings point at so. all. I guess so. I don't know. I, it's a really complicated thing, but I, I just. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting I, what Goodell said. No, how, perfect solution here. No, no, it's a very nuanced thing in general, which is why I, I try to. I, I do. I try to be really careful and measured about the things I say. I try to think about, think them through, and not be so emotional right. because I do think that we lose a lot because of our emotions. You know, we lose. Right. We, we lose. We lose, sometimes we lose cred- credibility. Sometimes we lose, you know. Uh, but so I do, I do, I do believe it. It's nuanced and it's complicated. But I mean, in the end, I think they're and, and you know the NBA is going to have NBA actually already has a rule, right? So I don't know. LeBron, LeBron the James NBA have a rule. I didn't even know that. Yeah, they do have a rule. It specifically says you need to stand. So yeah. I don't know what the punishment is, but we'll probably find out because yeah. I can't imagine they're all going to stand. The players, I mean. Yeah. Interesting. You know, LeBron James know. LeBron James is really interesting. You know, he says he plans to stand because he just thinks he can make a different difference other ways with his voice and right. things like that. So he's become a very powerful figure. Yeah, he's, and he's been really good. He's earned a lot of he's, he's learned really a lot good. of my respect over the years. He you know, from the decision to now, wow, what a difference, right? Like what a comeback. Yeah, I think so. Actually I just I did, yeah. He's become he's become 
I can't say he's become Ali or uh, Kareem, but he's kind of taken that mantle of the modern athlete who's not afraid to stand up and say what he believes. He says smart things usually too, which I think is even more important. I agree. Um, all right, I, I feel like you want to wrap up, so let's. Um, squeeze. I don't care. Oh, I thought you're. I felt like you're getting a little antsy, maybe. Nope. Uh, no book this year. Uh, I am working on a book, but I cannot tell you what the topic is, or I would have to kill. No, you. I mean you're not releasing one because USA file book comes out next year, right? Um. Uh, uh, yeah, Favre comes out in paperback. In uh, does that count? Favre comes out in paperback. Uh, in like two weeks. Oh, all right. Good. Doesn't yeah. count, but um. So is the USFL book your <laughs> next release? <laughs> Or will this other book yeah, you can't yes, talk about be released ahead of it? Uh, no, no, no. This the book I'm working on now is a long. It's not coming out until 2020. What? Oh my God, 2020. What clues exist about the new book? Uh, it involves uh, very tall people and uh, a round ball. Okay, so it's a basketball book. Yeah, interesting. That's all I will say. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me yeah. about the new podcast. Uh, what you like about it? What specific? The most important thing I want to know is like, what do you think is hard about podcasting? If anything, I guess. I mean, I love doing it. So my new podcast is—I'll tell you something funny. It's called Two Writers Slinging Yang, and um, it's on bumpers. I always thought slinging, yeah, on bumpers and iTunes. And I always thought, um, I always thought slinging Yang was slang for talking shit. Uh, and I always use that. I always say, oh, slinging Yang, slinging Yang. You know, not all the time, but often. And um. Then I Googled it one time after I already came over the podcast, and I couldn't find it really anywhere. So I think I invented this term, slinging yang, which <laughs> makes it even cooler. Um, I don't know. I just love talking writing. I love talking writing. I love hearing different people's approaches to writing. So I've kind of made it a, uh, whatever, 40-minute conversation with writers. And it's trying to get more than just uh, more than just sports people. And I've, I've had a little mix, but the, most of the, most of the big-name people I know are sports. So it's a lot of, a lot of chatting. The hard part, I would say... Um, the hard part eh, it's not very hard I just really enjoy it it's 40 minutes that I enjoy on a Monday morning yeah the, the hardest part for me if you care is booking guests and it's oh. only it's only so hard because people don't say no they either say yes or they ignore you and it'd be so much oh, easier funny. you know if people could just show a little respect and you know respond and say no thank you but I had that, someone say no uh, yesterday I had someone say no yesterday. I probably had less than five people say no to me in 11 years. Or 11, uh, since 2011. Yeah, less than five. So who said no? Um, Michael Fabiano said no. Um, who is that? So I know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, first of all, I said the wrong writer. Michael Fabiano is fantasy football writer for NFL Network. He oh. never says no to me. Um, I met Michael oh, okay. Farber, the hockey writer from SI. Farber said no? Yeah, well, he said yes. He did it. And then I asked him, you know, a few months later, he basically said, look it, I'm never doing it again. (laughs) So he he hated it? uh, I think so. He's one of the big, like, Hall of Fame board members for hockey. And I think he probably felt like I went too hard at him about people who weren't in it. Which. Oh, funny. I love Farber. I might have. Yeah, no, I have no, you know, no problem with that. Um, Seth Davis famously said no. Oh, yeah, you told me that. Seth's a good friend of mine. That's funny. Yeah, and then uh, you were like, yeah, you know, I'll help you get him on. And then we started talking on email, and I could tell within 
three times that he was going to keep saying yes, and then I would say a day, and he kept saying no to that day. So I was like, oh, this guy's yeah. actually going to keep jerking me around like this. So I just bailed on that. That's so weird. Um, Sorry about that. Yeah, he's not, he's just, I burned the bridge and, you know, yeah. whatever. I, he probably just doesn't give a shit, to be honest. I'm sure he doesn't, like, hold anything against you. He probably just doesn't care. I always say, I read it, or who told me this? Lee Montville told me this once. He's like, um, in your 20s, you're worried about what everyone thinks. In your 30s, you stop worrying about what everyone thinks. And in your 40s, you realize nobody was thinking about you to begin with. <laughs> That's probably true. That's really true for me. Believe me. <laughs> I'm trying to think who else said no. Um, There's very few people. Uh, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, very few. Uh, like I said, it's dead who's your air. all-time leader? Jenkins. Like, who's your all-time leader? Is it Lee? Yeah, Lee Jenkins. Yeah, Lee. yeah it's bums out. I'm bummed out because he's not yeah, that into it anymore. So... But it's cool. Yeah. He still comes on. I mean, he still comes on, you know, once a year. But you know, he used to be like our guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he would come on a few times, yeah. and it was really cool. And yeah. then he got burned out. But it's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I can't think of anyone else who said no because really, it's it's very few people. People don't. Like I said they don't. They yeah. don't say no. People like talking. Yeah, they people say like they talking, say they yes like or they they, they they ignore it. Um. The worst is like people who have been on and then you reach out to them again and they ignore you. It's like, it's the same email. It's like, I know that I know they read, oh, yeah. they're reading it. It's like, really? You can't just say I'm busy, but whatever. Personal That's problem. Funny. All right. So the podcast yeah. is coming. Oh, I wanted to ask you about writing for the athletic. Um, you're doing this. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're writing for, you, you have articles, articles behind a paywall. Um, I do. I, I talked I to, to Stuart. Uh, right before his site launched, yeah. um, and we talked yeah. a lot about kind of you know the pivot that drove him to this. And uh, I love the pivot to video because nobody wants it; it's been a complete failure. Um, so we'll right. see if they pivot back. Uh, but um, I theorize that this is the perfect time for this because we've gotten used to paying for things like Netflix and. Amazon Prime and yeah, right. we're used to all of a sudden just like throwing our credit card down for five or six bucks a month and forgetting about it for life. Um, I agree with you. Do you think that you agree with that? So, I mean, you feel like this is something that can work and that the, t- the timing is right and that, you know, as long as the people pulling it off are providing good content, that this is going to be something that's going to be viable for sports journalism in the long term. All right, I don't know for sure. Like, mm-hmm. I actually don't know for certain that it lasts or doesn't last. I literally have no idea. So it's not like uh, I have no insight whether it lasts or doesn't last. I do agree with you, though, that we're kind of in a, in a period now where you do throw down your credit card. You get billed a certain amount per month. You forget to even look at you being billed a certain amount per month. And I also think there is an increasingly bad amount of sports coverage out there. You know, um, I mean, look, I, I love SI, but the website's never been good. You know, um, never. Awful. ESPN.com is kind of ESPN.com has some great writers, um, but the site's I'll, you know I don't know um, disheveled. Uh, I write for Bleacher Report. I love a lot of uh, Bleacher Report, but there's definitely an emphasis on the 17 year old reader. You know, um, so I do think, and you know, you're not gonna you go to your local. I mean, I live out here in California. The Orange County Register sports section was a disaster. Uh, USA Today has become you know, a disaster. The LA Times sports section, which used to be 20 pages of greatness, 
I can tell you one person who writes for the other. I mean, it's just become this thing. So if you could have a place where it's going to be concentrated coverage on your teams, you're going to have great writers, um, and yet you have to pay a couple bucks, I think there's a shot. I don't know for a fact that it works, but I think there's a shot, a decent shot. And they have good writers. They've hired some really good writers. What is your job there? Like, what did they say? Just turn in a column every two weeks, or is it something more specific? Yeah, I'm a national. I write a national column, national so you, column every two weeks. So I just hand it runs. Um, it runs every Thursday. Like I just filed my one today. It was about. I decided I was going to write. I was needed as a last minute little league umpire this past weekend. Oh, I saw a picture and, of that. Yeah, so I decided to write about um about working as an umpire the week. You know, two weeks earlier, I wrote about the woman who sang the anthem at the Lakers uh, preseason opener is a, a Vietnamese vet who, you know, and this was right around when everyone was kneeling and the whole Trump came out. So I wrote about, she, you know, she came here on a boat and how she felt about singing the anthem while, the, while people were kneeling. And I just, they're giving me a real free reign. And I live in a part of the country where there's a gazillion sports things going on. So it's kind of, it's sort of liberating and it breaks up the bookwork, which is kind of a delight, you know? How big of a disaster is football there so far? Ah, uh, it oh. barely exists on anyone's radar. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. So, very bad. I mean, the Rams, it'll be okay. Rams are good, and you'll draw here okay if you win. But the Chargers are playing in a 35,000-seat soccer stadium, and they're not even selling out. And the fans who do come aren't even Charger fans. Yeah, what did, they did something to avoid getting booed last week, I heard. Because there were so uh, many eagle fans, I mean, so many eagle fans there. That supposedly they can't remember what it was, but they avoided doing something because they knew it would just be booing. I don't know what they did. I mean, I know the eagle fans outnumbered the Charger fans, and afterwards, you know, it's just I tell you what the Chargers did really wrong out here. I think is there was no sense of self-deprecation whatsoever, right? Like they, the whole ad campaign has been fight for LA. That's it. Right? Fight for LA. We're going to fight for LA, and. It's a joke. Like, they're not fighting for it. It's the same crap as any other town. Like, they moved here because they want a new stadium. And 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 they moved here because they want a new stadium. And they, uh, you know, it's like they don't have anything new to offer. Their players aren't excited to be here. Phil Rivers still lives in San Diego. It's like a joke. So what they do, you know, is they don't, they, they could have made a joke about it all. They could have laughed about it at all. They could have made it a gag. They could have done ads with Phil Rivers sitting in traffic, Right could have done ads with like guys trying to find good sushi instead they pretend that they're all excited to be here and it's just it's a joke you know what i mean like they could have mm-hmm. made it funny and they could have been like they could have done a million different things they could have been sitting in traffic and that would have been really funny but they didn't do it they're not they didn't get it and, and now it's like a nobody takes them seriously nobody it's not that no one people are not offended by the chargers being here people don't care that the chargers are here which is a million times worse <laughs> brutal I, I I guess they got to stick yep. it out though, right? I guess. Uh, well, they have a stadium deal. They have a new stadium coming along in three years. So what are they supposed to do? You know. <laughs> so man, you can't even. Hey, sell don't out. get mad at me, but I got to go pick up my I got to go pick up my son at the bus stop. No, I was ready to wrap right now. Anyway. Uh, oh, cool. At Jeff Proman. My car. At Jeff Proman is the uh, is the Twitter. Uh, be careful there; it's dangerous. Um, he writes for the Athletic. Uh, you can subscribe to any athletic, and you will get him. That's the nice thing about it. They all yeah. come together. No matter if you're in, you're in Detroit Athletic or the college football one or whatever, you get it all. Um, he has the Brett Favre Gunslingers coming out on paperback, and the podcast does that come out weekly. Writer slinging uh, every week. 
Every week, weekly. The writer slinging the ang. Yep. Every week. Uh, bumpers. And uh, I still do the quads. And the quads. the quads. Every week. All right, man. All right. All right, I want to thank uh, Jeff Perlman for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate that. love talking to Jeff. A little bit maybe heavier than we usually enjoy, uh, but he was the perfect person to discuss some of those topics with. A quick update of the book club. Uh, You know, sometimes these guys who write these books, they blow my mind. Uh, Alan Seppenwall has been a part of this book club before for his TV, uh, TV The Book is what it was called. And we did a fantastic job. We did a great interview with Alan. And uh, I did a a couple videos for him that that Paula did when she was a baby and tweets and really worked that book hard for him. And he has a new book out about Breaking Bad. And I've emailed him three times uh, to see if he wanted to be a part of the book club again. And he can't even respond and say no thank you. Uh, I don't know what is wrong with TV critics. They're the most unlikable people uh, I've encountered when doing uh, this podcast. And Alan Seppenwall is right at the top of the list. Uh, just awful. I, you know, I'm ask, I'm reaching out and saying, hey, you wrote a book about Breaking Bad. I'd love to help you promote it. I'd love to. And he can't even write back to say no thank you. Uh, so that's the kind of person Alan Seppenwall is, I guess. Uh, also, I've been reaching out to Jim Ross, who wrote a wrestling book. Can't get a response from him, him either. He even set up a special email. Uh, for people with podcasts and other platforms looking to uh, promote the book. Uh, I read it, and you know what? It sucks. It's one of the most disappointing wrestling books uh, I've ever read. Uh, For a guy who's been in the business as long as he has, it's too short. Uh, There's not nearly enough stuff about the WWF. You can tell it's written by a guy who doesn't want to say the things he could say because he doesn't want to ruin his position with the WWE. Uh, so if that's the kind of book you're going to write, eh, it's going to stink. It was a huge, huge disappointment. Um, with that said, Jack McCollum has a new book out, uh, and he did write back. And we have he's the author of a former book club book of the year, Dream Team. I think it was the second winner. And uh, Jack uh, has a new book out uh, or coming out. And I spoke to him about promoting it. It is about the Golden State Warriors. And it's about Jerry West, a tie-in to him, and how he's one of the main people responsible for the success of of the Warriors and, of course, the success uh, of the Lakers in the past. Uh, so we are going to, for the next few weeks, be doing uh, not Alan Sapinwall and uh, not, of course, uh, Jim Ross because uh, they refuse to uh to write us uh, not even to say no thank you can't even you can't even open an email to say uh thanks but no thanks classy uh but golden days west lakers steph's warriors uh, is jack's book and uh we'll work that one because he's a guy looking uh from this podcast to help him maybe sell a few books so we'll see if we can do that all right now that i buried a few people and burned a few bridges Uh, Let's take a break, uh, and we'll come back uh, with Emily Kaplan. All right, our next guest is from New Jersey. 
and uh, she grew up out there before heading to Penn State, where she went to college. She's currently covering the NHL uh, for ESPN in Chicago, Illinois, and she's making her first appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Emily Kaplan. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm great. How are you? Really good. Excited to have you on. Really excited to to talk hockey with, with someone new. It's it's a great time of the year in sports in general. Well, last night was the 17th. As we record, last, yesterday I read was like the 17th time that there was a NHL, NBA, MLB, and NFL game on the same day. It's crazy, right? And I was trying to explain that to friends, and they just couldn't wrap their head around it. <laughs> That's yeah, possible. I was trying to figure out like who the culprit was, and I figured it had to be the NFL. Was the reason it's so low? I was trying to, I was assuming, or the NBA starting so. I, earlier? Because in my head, maybe NBA started later. Yeah, and baseball would be over. Like I was trying to figure that out yesterday. Yeah. Like, which sport is the reason that it's the lowest? And I would say either the NFL yeah, for now. Said- Go ahead. Yeah. No, I almost rolled my eyes when you said the NFL because I feel like, and I used to cover the NFL, but I feel like they've monopolized so many days of the week now. It's not just Sunday that it just sounds silly that they're only three days a week when three days a week sounds like a lot. Right. Well, for NFL football. the thing about it is there's never that many days in between games with this Thursday, right? Because cause it's, they play on Sunday, obviously, like that's a traditional day and Monday has always been Monday Night Football in my life anyway. And then now you add this this Thursday in, and it, that means it's only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you play Thursday, and that means it's only Friday, Saturday then. So it's never like the long gap. It breaks the week up, but I thought that'd be a good thing when it started, but I think it's too much after a couple of years of it. Yeah, well, I know the real reason, the real way to piss off hockey players is if you talk about football players getting mad that they don't get rest between games because hockey players just think that's ridiculous because they play all the time. Do you ever notice how weird the AHL schedule is? Like, do you ever look, like, try to follow an AHL player? And, like, there's teams in the AHL still only have, like, two or three games played. <laughs> I do know this because I've been planning to go to Rockford, which is where uh, Chicago is AHL team. I'm based in Chicago. And I was talking to one of their guys, and they're like, yeah, we have all week off. And I just couldn't wrap my head around how a team could have an entire week off in October. Yeah, I don't know how they get their season in. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Because my brother, my brother played hockey at Yale, and his his like best friend from the team is Kenny Agostino, and so I follow I follow him really closely. And it's like when he was in the AHL, especially last year, like they wouldn't play for six days. And I would text him, was like, "What have you been doing?" And he's like, "Oh man, (laughs) it's so boring. Like they get so bored because they're not at home with their families. You know what I mean? Like the younger guys definitely aren't." You know, so they get so that's bored. That's a fascinating. Uh, that's a good story. Thanks for the idea. Yeah, yeah, it's real. I'd be really what interested. Do what do AHL do? players do all damn week? <laughs> and then, then, then they'll have three in a row. You know, they'll have they have a lot of uh, three day shots compared to the NHL, which I think barely ever does huh. three days in a row. And the AHL will do no, that I, all the time. So, and also they barely play anyone in the league. You know, like uh, Rochester is the closest one. And Kenny was in St. Louis's Chicago, played for Chicago last year. They never came to Rochester. You know, that, that those teams just never played. So they, I don't know, the AHL. Um, fascinating. Fa- speaking of fascinating, I enjoyed your article on Austin Matthews. Um, I think about Austin Matthews. Well, thank you. Yes, I think about him a lot as a Buffalonian uh, because, hmm. because I remember – uh, the year that the Sabres picked Sam Reinhart, I was a season ticket holder that year. 
Um, well, I had been for several years before that year. That was my last year, though. And uh, I remember every night walking out thinking, man, we're doing this a year too early. You know, Eichel and McDavid aren't until next year. And we're, like, the worst uh, post-expansionary team ever, like, a year early. That's so Buffalo. You know, and then it turns out it wasn't that big of a deal because they were going to be that bad the next year anyway. I just didn't, you know, I didn't know that yet. Um, and then they were equally as bad and end up getting um, getting Eichel, obviously. And I've been wondering, because when, when, the, the, when the Sabres lost the lottery that year, my thought was, yeah, Nick McDavid would have been nice, and he'll probably end up being the best player in this draft. But Eichel's going to end up being the face of Team USA in all these Olympics, and he's going to be the best yeah. United States player since um, Patrick Kane. And now I wonder, were they a year too early again? You know, was that... What's crazy is that Austin Matthews is, real, I think, what, he missed the cutoff by three days? Just missed um, it, yeah. Birthday. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he really should have even been in that class. And can you imagine the debate would have been Eichel versus McDavid versus Matthews? Yeah, that's insane. I wonder what... It's really... A, that's a really... Would have been a really interesting debate for the Sabres, right? Because, I mean, McDavid still, I think, would have been number one in any draft. Uh, so... The, it would have been really interesting. What would they have done? You know, the Eichel versus Matthews debate yeah. would have been unbelievably nuts here. I mean, nuts. It would I have can been. Only imagine. Right. So tell here here tell me about Austin Matthews a little bit. Um, in terms of when you did this story, like, what did you go away knowing that you didn't expect to know? Well, I think the whole point of the story and what I found fascinating was. If you go to Toronto, he is a rock star. Every single person there thinks he's the biggest celebrity in town for a good reason. Uh, you know, he's part of this resurgence of probably one of the status franchises of all time that can never make breakthrough. And he just has incredible talent. He had the best rookie season there in their 100-year history. If you come down to America, um, I found that his mainstream celebrity isn't as high as I think it should be. And you and I are both hockey fans, so obviously we know who he is. But I was even just kind of using my friends as litmus tests. And a lot of them are general sports fans. They love the NFL. They love NBA. And, like, half of them knew who Austin Matthews was. And even if they know who he is, um, their knowledge of him is very limited. Oh, yeah, I think I know. Uh, He's the kid in Toronto, right? Well, do you know his mother is Mexican? No, that's crazy. He grew up in Arizona. Really? Do you know the stats? Not really. So I just was kind of trying to figure out where that disparity lies. And, there's so many different, you know, factors at play here. A lot of it is nuanced and has to deal with hockey being a niche sport and him being in that market specifically. But that's kind of what I tried to explore with the piece. You know, when I was reading it, the two things that kept coming to my mind were, wow, the NHL doesn't realize how stupid this decision is to not go to the Olympics. Um, that was one thing that kept going through yeah, my well, mind. We can pause right there and let's just talk about the Olympics yeah, real quickly. Sure. Because I do think that would help with his Q rating. Yeah, exactly. Because also, if I asked my friends, do you know who TJ Oshie is? They probably would all say, of course I know who TJ Oshie is. I had tuned into those ridiculous games where he was crushing in the shootout. Right, against so, Russia like, on a Saturday. That right. make or break a player celebrity. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking in my head, like, Wow, Eichel and McDavid, or excuse me, Eichel and Matthews could be out there and maybe playing a gold medal game that could be, you know, can Eichel or Matthews take down McDavid in Canada? Like, wow, what an opportunity. They're, and maybe they're going to plan on going to the next one, but 
players only get to play in so many Olympics, right? It's like soccer players only get to play in so many World Cups. And for them to just give one away like that, I just think is a, it's a mistake. I know they have their reasons, and I'm sure that they would lay them out here. And I would just still shake my head and say, hey, I'm only did this story, and nobody knows who Austin Matthews is. What's a shortcut to fixing that? And, you know, him being a star in an Olympic game seems like a great one. Yeah, um, I'm just nodding my head, and I said, look, like you said, there's reasons the NHL isn't going, and I actually can side with them for some of these reasons. Right, they have. The IOC, in my opinion, is the real villain. Um, they're not getting, they don't get anything out of it if they go. At the same time, I think they have to not be so narrowly focused, and they're thinking of, right, they're not getting anything out of it, but in their long-term, you know, ongoing battle for visibility, this is the way to grow the game. And also in the Asian market, which is totally nascent and somewhere they could tap into like the NBA has. Yeah, absolutely. Because in South Korea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then yeah. the other thing I was thinking uh, in my head about Matthews is I'm never going to understand why the NBC Sports Network doesn't play more Toronto and Edmonton games. Now, again, they have their reasons with ratings and the Canadian markets not counting into those ratings. But look at these games don't draw huge ratings anyway. You know what I mean? Start marketing the game more around the stars like the NBA did uh, and does and less around the teams. Um, that was the other thing that I really just couldn't stop thinking when I was reading it. Yeah, and that's another tricky thing. And look, you can't totally blame NBC. Um, it is so ridiculous in my mind that the Flyers will play more on national television this year than Austin Matthews uh, or the least well, at least for the Stanley Cup favorites right now. Um, but it's the, the really tricky thing is it's, it's the marketing, right? And it's the stars being marketed. And you also have to ask, do these stars want to be marketed? And that's right. also the question I tried to get at with Austin. And hockey just has this culture that's very different than the other sports where star players bow their head and do what they're told. And if they deviate from that, they're called distractions. And if you want an example, look at P.K. Subban, who's like shooting bone arrows in the crowd as a celebration wearing fur coats. And people feel really uncomfortable by that in hockey, where the norm is Sidney Crosby, who sits in front of his locker every day but doesn't say anything. So hockey culture kind of um, really frowns upon people showing personality. And I, I don't like that personally, but that's just what's embedded. And they start teaching the players that right in juniors, whether it's the OHL or the USHL. I remember the first time I went out to South Dakota to visit with my brother, and we were we were driving in his billet uh, billet parents' car. I was like sitting in the back seat in a car ride, like my brother, like we used to do in our parents' car or something. And I was trying to ask him things about the team, and he was giving me these answers, like I was the newspaper reporter uh, for the whatever the two falls yeah, paper the is, paper, yeah. right? And I I told him I was gonna smack him in the head. I'm like, you're talking to me. You know, like, just talk to me honestly, like, you know. and But, yeah, they, it's because they teach you right away, like, when they, they teach in the USHL. They literally teach them how to speak to media. And it's, you know, say things like we, not I. And, you know, the modesty. Yeah. And all that stuff. And it just gets ingrained in them. And it certainly doesn't change in college. You know, I don't know a lot about, sure. you know, kids in, in major junior. But I would guess it's very similar, you know. Play for the no, name on I the agree. front, not the back. Yeah, they're very deferential by nature. And look, it's the ultimate team sport. A star player only plays the fourth of a game. Uh, that said, even if they're not even explicitly teaching them, which they are, you know, this is how you speak to the media, it's just that ingrained culture that 
it's going to take so much more than just one player deviating from or, or five or six players deviating from because it's literally a century old. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about hockey movies right now. I watch as a kid, you know, the Mighty Ducks. You know, every it seems like every movie they have to find a way to be the Ducks again. You know, even though there's some other yeah. team. <laughs> and you know, in Miracle, there's the scene where you know uh, Herb Brooks says, "Who do you play for?" You know, and that whole thing. And and it is, it's just right. ingrained in the culture. But still, maybe try. <laughs> you know, like like I I get it. But the players and the owners are partners, so maybe the owners can take that angle and say, "Look it." Uh, let's try this to grow, you know, try, just try, I guess is what I would say. It's the worst that could happen. Yeah. And I think it's more so just flexibility. It's look, you don't have to totally change the culture. We don't have to have everyone out there, you know, doing their own commercials and, and, you know, getting their own marketing plans that are away from the team. At the same time, I think they have a little more flexibility and, and maybe not frown upon it as much and, and scoff anytime someone tries to do something different. And I just think little changes like that could help hockey become an old guard sport and so, you know, ushered into where we're at now. You know, another thing I thought was pretty interesting when I read the article was that Jack Eichel's name isn't in it. And it's interesting to me because Connor McDavid's is, and it's interesting to me how things are sort of positioning themselves as, I mean, it's not often that so many generational players come into the league at the same time, right? Because they're supposed to be generational, which means that it'd be spread out a little bit. Um, but when you're three days away from, you know, having three guys who might be the three best players in the league for 15 years be in the same draft class, it's unique. Uh, but it seems like ever since Jack hurt his ankle the day before the season started last year, and then that next day Matthews scored four goals, it has very much turned into a Matthews McDavid thing and not a McDavid Eichel thing anymore, or even an all three thing. Why do you think that is? And why do you think uh, Eichel didn't come up uh, despite them both uh, being American players and also being on opposite teams and a huge rivalry in the sport? The Sabres and Maple Leafs are only 90 minutes away. And I've been going to incredible uh, games my whole life where my arena is 50% Leafs and 50% Sabres fans. Um, whereas McDavid's out West and I don't know how often his path is going to cross with Matthews. Uh, I think it's simple. Um, and, uh, I don't want to dumb it down too much. Firstly, the reason I didn't mention him is because it's a narrowly focused article, but you're right. I did mention McDavid and that's because the storyline that's emerging is the NHL loves to pit two stars against each other, like Lemieux, Gretzky, Crosby, Ovechkin, and now it's McDavid Matthews. Uh, part of the reason is that the Sabres just aren't good right now. Uh, Eichel plays for, it's a small market team, uh, and they're not doing well, and there's no real clear sense of when they're going to pick things up and become a contender again. I think they made a lot of the right moves this year, but um, they're still a little bit of a ways away, and I think right now the Oilers and Maple Leafs are both contenders for very historic franchises in Canada, and, and that's why they've emerged. That, I mean, that's yeah. so, some of that is fair. I mean, the Sabres are awful. Awful. Uh, still, it's unbelievable how bad they are. I can't believe it. Uh, and we can talk about that maybe later if there's any reason to. I doubt it, though. Uh, but, um, well, Edmonton isn't a market at all, right? I mean, and it's certainly not as important to the NHL in the United States as Buffalo is. I mean, if you watch any hockey game or look at the ratings for any hockey game that airs in the United States, uh, there's very few teams that can be playing in it that will get a higher rating than Buffalo. Like Pittsburgh is probably the only one that will consistently outrate Buffalo when their team is playing. 
Um, so it might be a small market maybe in the NFL, but it's a super important market in the NHL. Uh, and I get that they're bad, uh, but I don't know how good Edmonton is. I know they kind of snuck in the playoffs last year. Uh, but I don't know. Oh, I, I don't, I don't. (laughs) Okay. I mean, there are a lot of things because Connor McDavid plays on the team. Like I, I just don't, I don't see them as favorites. Maybe you do. Uh, but I, I don't, I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe they're Western conference favorites? Yeah, I do. Really? I win the Western conference. So I can feel strongly. Yeah. I think it's because it's besides, I mean, it's besides McDavid. They have Drysdale, who's an incredible secondary player to him. Can't, I mean, they had a kind of rough start. They lost four games in this four-game stretch. That's not their game. Uh, this will be Thursday night against Chicago, and they started to play like the tightly structured team that they should. And I think, you know, I think you'll see in the next couple of weeks they're a legit team. I feel strongly about them. All right. That, we'll have to, we'll have to, have, we'll have to uh, keep an eye on that with each other and see uh... – because I just I don't see them as anything more than a fringe playoff team. I definitely don't see them as someone that wins sixteen playoff games. But um, who knows? I mean, McDavid, what do you have? It was what two to one last night they won, and he had four assists in the game. So I mean, I get it. The hype, the hype with them is always going to be just so enormous. Um, what has surprised you about the season so far, if anything? What's caught your eye a little bit? About the season in general? Yeah, just in general, just a broad sense. Um, what's, yeah, I think there's a couple teams that started that we literally had written off and just started way hot. The Devils are one of them. Um, I am shocked they've been able to keep this up, but they look like maybe they're for real. Um, and the Vegas Golden Knights, I, I still have questions of whether they can sustain this, but what a great story of you know this expansion team playing pretty damn good hockey and winning. So right. uh, those two teams have definitely been my early surprises. What about on the other end? Uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some of those two. The New York Rangers, uh, they're a team I, I grew up rooting for uh, way back when. And um, look, I think everyone kind of knew their window was closing is the Henrik Lundqvist window with all the big contracts but um it, it looks pretty dire right now they're, they're just not playing well and the Canadians have also been a team that people thought are always plucky and always have a chance with Carey Price and have pretty much played terribly the first uh, two weeks of the year doesn't Nash kind of look like a 30 year old running back you know how those NFL running backs turn 30 and they, they sometimes they just fall off the cliff like, doesn't Nash look like he's yeah, playing he's, with parachutes on his back? Just inst- like all of a sudden, like a huge regression. Heavy legs, yeah. Uh, I could see that. I think, yeah, we were starting to see signs of it. And then all of a sudden he'll score like a ridiculous amount of goals. And you're like, was I seeing that or not? But, yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, we're seeing probably the tail end of his career. And it was an incredible career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you were a Rangers fan growing up. Uh, so tell me something about the 94 run that you really loved. Or are you... Like I don't want to. I'm not supposed to I'm ask you how old you are, right? So, yeah, three. Three? Oh, <laughs> only three? Oh. oh, that was so fun. You missed it. such a fun playoffs. Oh my god! So, the reason I am a fan, though, my my dad was a super big fan, and um, he was an editor at the New York Daily Times, New York uh, Daily News at the time, and uh, he actually credentialed himself for the Machado Game Seven. Uh, just because he felt like he needed to be there, so that's where my Ranger fandom comes from. That is awesome. Yeah, my uh, my daughter is uh, she's like fifteen uh, ish months old, and she loves hockey already. Wow. And uh, 
we watch when we're when we're laying down at the end of the night, winding her down. We'll watch uh, highlight videos on my phone. And I was a huge Pablo mm-hmm. Bure fan. And there's this one Pablo Bure video that's all his playoff goals. And whenever I get we get to 94 on that video, we start watching the goals he scored. I just start thinking about that playoffs that year. And oh man, that was such a fun, fun playoffs. That 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 Stanley Cup was really, really, really underrated. I think. Um, yeah. Man, even Mike and the Mad I'm Dog loved it. To, uh, you know, even Mike and the Mad Dog. That? I said even Mike and the Mad Dog loved it. It's like one of the few years they yeah, loved hockey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, couple other things. Uh, you know, the the NHL is so filled with with young stars. I mean, even like last year, that team North America. If the, the, it's another thing the league screwed up, right? Not having a quarterfinal in that tournament because that team played mm-hmm. one bad period against was it russia i don't know whoever matt murray led in three goals in like a minute and that was the only bad stretch they had the whole tournament and that they didn't make it past the however many games and it's too bad because they were so cool and if they would have ever played canada man that would have been so fun but it just highlighted all the young players that are in this league and we've talked about a few obviously you wrote the column about matthews and we've talked about eichel and mcdavid who else pops you like who else makes you want to want to watch in that in that group like who else are you excited about besides the obvious ones maybe a couple other guys you want to throw out Wait, you're gonna hate it because you're clearly not a fan of western canadian hockey teams, <laughs> but, um, i do love patrick line yeah oh he's um, awesome Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah he's awesome the way he plays it's young alex ovechkin he's just a sniper so mm-hmm. i really do enjoy watching him play yeah no I, I that world juniors um they won that his like last year of world juniors and, um, man, watching him in that tournament, I'm pretty sure he scored an overtime to win it. I think it was him. I don't know. I know Rasmus Ristolainen scored an overtime to win it uh, his last year. Uh, but someone yeah. scored an overtime to win it for them. I, th- I want to say it was Lonnie, but it might have been the guy that uh, – well, how do you say his name? I always screw it up. Um, yeah, it's Patrick Laine. And what's crazy about him – No, no, Laine's boy, uh, his running mate. Who was the other guy? The the. the would have been the third pick in the draft, but Columbus passed. Yeah, being the fourth oh, pick. Um, Pierre Luke. No. Uh, I'm a, he's got a P. It's something P, and there's a J in there. I always screw his name up. Anyway, it might have been him who scored the okay. overtime goal. Not important. But uh, go ahead, Lane. Yeah, what well, a shooter, crazy right? About Lane. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy about him. Is um, the Finnish players Tuukka Rask was telling me that if you go back to Finland, like he's the biggest celebrity there. Um, that you have ever seen. They say it's literally Timu Solane level of celebrity that he has already. So I think he's like a rock star. Yeah, that that that's another article, right? Like, who, does anyone know who Patrick Lane is? Uh, probably even less than Matthews. Um, <laughs> but uh, the um, I remember another one of my favorite seasons was when Solani and Mogilny both had seventy six goals. Um, so that's that's such a Sabres thing, right? They get a guy who scores 76 goals. It's not enough to even league the league. Uh, Poole Jarvi yeah. is who I wanted to say. Jesse Poole Jarvi. He's an Edmonton draft pick. Ah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah that's a tough one. I always screw that name up because it's not spelled like English. It's spelled like Finnish. I don't know how to say it. I'll learn it someday. Um, any, any other young guys you want to throw out? Have you watched uh, to Chuck much? Or, I mean, Goudreau's almost old right in this league like you almost can't call him a young guy yeah anymore. Johnny Hockey is yeah old. yeah he's an old crazy he's a vet <laughs> he's not a he's not a he's not a young player in the league anymore because yeah I think two defensemen definitely come to mind to Americans uh Shane Ghost to bear 
Yes, um, Union. Union also. hockey. Yeah, ECAC player. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Zach Wierenski is just mm. I. Every time I watch him play, I'm even more and more impressed. He's with the Blue Jackets. So uh, those two guys, another two definite candidates to make Team USA if they were in the Olympics. Right. Um, yeah. Two college guys. Two so college it's guys. Fun yeah. watching them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wierenski was uh, Michigan and Union hockey for for um, for Ghost of Spare. Has has anything that's happened on the ring so far changed your mind about what you thought going into the season? Like have you changed any predictions or uh, whether they be team or individual? Have you? Yeah, like, well, I live in Chicago, so the, yeah, the team I have uh, gone to the most games of or around the most is the Blackhawks, and and they've surprised me. Even though I did think they would probably win the Central, just kind of by default. Um, even though it's a really tough Central this year, the Stars are great. Um, I I think they've impressed me that look they brought the band back together and I didn't know that the band had that many more hits but they do and they're playing really good hockey. Right? Yeah, I had no idea that uh, Brandon Saad would have so so much fun playing with Jonathan Taves like that. Uh, how about that right hook from my boy Hayden? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's great. He's on he's on the line that I really like watching. They've got all these young guys. They got Alex DeBrincat and Hayden. And um, John Harmon plays differently, but he's really fun to watch. Yeah, the very first time I ever got to see Hayden play was actually Banner Night at Ingalls. The night that mm-hmm. uh, was the National Championship Banner Night. It was his first home game as a freshman. And I just remember looking at him like, man, he's a true freshman. No juniors, just a true freshman. And he is one of, like, he is one of the biggest guys out here. Like, he's already a man, mm-hmm. and he's 18. Like, I just couldn't believe how big he was. And you know what separates him, I think, is just how hard he works. I mean, he worked. He came from the <laughs> development program as a huge recruit for Yale, and he outworked everyone. You know, my brother would say, like, man, Hades just never stops. He just works and works and works. And I think that's – That's awesome. Yeah. That, so I, I, he's a really, really nice nice kid. He would always – when the – the, that year, the or no, the following year, uh, they were on the bubble for the NCAA tournament, and my phone would not stop blowing up from Hayden that last day. Every time a goal went in, <laughs> so what's our chances now? Like, what's our chances now? Like, so I, I love That's Hayden. Awesome. Yeah, and that, but that hook. Oh man, I had to text him and say we're all right, right? I never made you mad, did I? And uh, he just, <laughs> he just. Yeah, no, that was a crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad, I'm glad he's doing well. Uh, were you surprised he made it? I think it? he won over a lot of fans in Chicago with that uh, fight. Well, and he's handsome too, right? So he's got to go over girl, over good. Uh-huh. I mean, he's a handsome guy. I mean, he's got to he's going to do yeah, well. So he's I just think. fine here. Yeah, he's going to do well. Um, what is it like writing for hockey in ESPN? Do you ever feel like uh, like are you excited that Greg Wyshynski is there? Like, does it feel like it's going to bring some more buzz? Like, how how do you view like writing about hockey on a network that doesn't air it and sometimes uh, makes me feel like they don't even know about it. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I hear that sentiment and I hear you. Um, I'll say this, this is my first year covering hockey. I, I came from the NFL beat. I worked for Sports Illustrated and um, I left a really good job because I was really excited about um, what they laid out for me as a plan of what they can do with hockey coverage. And I know there are uphill battles when you're at a network that has rights deals with all the other major sports and not this one. Um, but I do think that we're bringing new energy. And if you give it a couple months, like let us feel it out, but me and Greg are going to do some really cool things. And 
um, hopefully that can uh, trickle into the TV side too. I love Greg. I mean, he was on this podcast episode number two way back in 2011. So nice. he's, we've been, uh, you know, Greg Wyshynski guy from the, I don't know what to call him anymore. Cause I guess I can't call him Puck Daddy cause Puck Daddy is still a thing. Yeah, he's not there. It's still the Twitter handle though, right? Or the not. Let me see. I just passed one of his tweets on your timeline. No, he's at Wyshynski now. Yeah, Yeah, he's at Wyshynski. Oh, no. Truly the end of an era. Times are changing. (laughs) Uh, Emily Kaplan, like I said, writes for ESPN. Uh, You can find her on Twitter. She's at Emily Kaplan. Um, So that's an easy one to find, of course. And her article about Austin Matthews, I'll send a link out to it. I think I may have retweeted it already, but maybe I'll send another one out. Uh, Was that for ESPN the magazine or is that just an online one? It was, yeah, in the yeah. magazine, uh, the NBA preview issue. Okay, so that, you know, look for that on newsstands, or if you read on the iPad like I do, uh, you can do that uh, as well. This was fun. Thanks for talking about hockey with me. Um, anything else you want to uh, mention about the article or anything else you want to plug or um, anything else, any questions for me? I mean, any of those things. <laughs> no, I just appreciate you reaching out, and, um, yeah, I – um, it was a fun discussion, and I'm happy to talk Buffalo Pucks with you anytime. Yeah, and like on the day that Edmonton's eliminated from the playoffs, we'll have to, we'll have to, yeah, yeah have to, there yeah. you go. <laughs> the day they don't make the playoffs, how about that? R- right. Well, the Sabers are already eliminated, uh-huh. so it's not like there I'm you go. right. It's not like I'm arguing for them, but forget Edmonton. Yeah, they have enough cups already. <laughs> I don't care if they were in the '80s, but all right. Thank you, Emily. All right. Have a good one. I want to thank Emma Kaplan for debuting on the podcast. Also want to thank Jeff Perlman for being on the show. Don't forget, you can find this episode and all episodes of the podcast on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. Also on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email the sportscasters at gmail.com. The Lonely End of the Rink podcast is back, and it's also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Lonely Rink Pod and you can also find us on Twitter at Lonely Rink Pod and of course the Motivation Through Music podcast for more information on that at M through M Pod on Twitter. Alright, well one last thing for me today. Uh, of course it's been a bad week for anyone who's a fan of the Tragically Hip and uh, many of the people who live in Buffalo are fans. And in the last uh, M through M Pod uh, I went uh, into great detail about uh, my enjoyment of the band and my love for Gord Downey and uh, the genius uh, that was uh, the Tragically Hip. I'm looking forward to seeing the documentary here in a couple weeks and and just seeing how extraordinary that last tour was because I, I think it was really something special and kind of an underrated part of their career uh, for sure. But, um, and, you know, I, I went into this thinking I'd want to say something really smart or profound and and I don't know and the words just aren't coming to me right now so maybe Don and I will talk more about it uh, when we record on Wednesday and of course I did talk more about it on the Motivation Through Music podcast but I don't know right now I got nothing
get so 